This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, how's it going? Well, um, my sister's getting married this Saturday. Um, And also, they just uh, confirmed that horrendous nonsense whatever to the supreme court you know when they first brought her up as uh uh, the potential selection like you know well early in in the process was it you that i sent a screenshot of the headline to and said good news they found the closest thing to a rich white man they could yep (laughs) it's just so fucking awful it's just she's a she's from around your parts right yeah we don't talk about her but yes. Yeah. So you're just familiar with her, with her style of judging. Oh yeah. I live in that style of judging. Yeah. No, not that style of judging. I mean, her, her, you know, wish to roll back rights by a hundred years. Oh yeah. Walking also... through every single door that Ruth Bader Ginsburg opened and shutting them all behind her. I also live in that style of judging, but yes, I will say, I thought you meant, Louisiana judging, which is um, where we're passively, aggressively, aggressively, aggressively assholes. It's this very gentle way we have of doing things here. Yeah. Well, we're all fucked. So, hooray. It's five o'clock somewhere. Well, 9.20 here, so. <laughs> oh, I just meant anytime you need that reminder. Just carry a flask to work. If it's vodka, it looks like water. No one's going to ask a question. Just put it in a Dasani bottle. And you can't even really smell it. So put it in a Dasani bottle and then uh, dissolve some crystal light in that bitch. You'll be fine. Unless um, unless you were one of my middle schoolers. First of all, don't listen to this. But second of all, we can totally <laughs> smell vodka. Um, it's very strong. All teachers can smell it. It's a... So my first kids, your teacher's a liar. My so... first or second year teaching, I had a student ask me, um, "Is it true that teachers can really smell vodka?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she was like, "I need to go see the principal." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, bye." <laughs> and so since then, I have perpetuated this lie. It's the only lie I perpetuate to kids because I don't believe in lying to children. But that one benefits me. Every time somebody asks, I always say yes because I have to do much less work. Kids, turn off this podcast. But also, your teacher's a big fat liar. He can't spell <laughs> shit because he had COVID. I can't since COVID. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Well, I was just telling you in our Patreon episode, or maybe after. I think I did it after. Yeah, at the end. But next week, so a little behind-the-scenes magic, we record a few days before the episode comes out. Um, Jesus Christ, my neighbor's home. Can you hear my window shaking? Yes, actually. Is it the same neighbor with the car? Does he just want in that badly? First of all, I saw him this week, and he is ju- he is exactly what you would expect. Great. 
Okay, mullet or no mullet? Uh, no mullet. Okay. So in Louisiana, the mullet's making a comeback, and, like, we don't talk about her. It's just very short and skinny. Yeah. Anyways, um, so we kind of, so next week we will be, um, we will be kind of recording in a continuum, well, time-space continuum, I guess, wherein we will be recording before the election, but the episode drops the morning after the election. Yep. Where I've already told my boss, I'm going to be hungover no matter what happens. <laughs> yep. So please don't bother me next week. <laughs> be very very busy yeah i mean i'll be on working but don't expect a lot um well can i share some positive news of course always so yesterday and this works both ways because i recorded yesterday and then this also the episode comes out yesterday as this episode comes live I um, was the feature on a Louisiana-based podcast called Homestyle that Mm -hmm. um, is about people in their creative outlets from Louisiana. And so uh, my soap company was featured as um, somebody that was interesting because I started it in COVID. And um, if you would like to hear a much more wholesome side of me, I recommend you pop on over and listen to that because um, it's so rare that you get the wholesome side of me. (laughs) It sure is. I don't even think I've ever seen the wholesome side of you. So maybe I'll swing by and give it a listen. (laughs) Well, and so the two interviewers I actually went to college with, so it's not like it was, you know, just out of the blue. I know these people and they're great. And I worked with them on the newspaper staff. Um, But one of them was like, how did I not know you have a podcast? And I was like, oh, because I don't talk about it on Facebook. And she was like, well, yeah. you should. And I was like, no, no, no. Which is not entirely true because sometimes you do. Right. I ask questions, but it's not like I'm promoting us on my personal Facebook for, for one. I don't either. No. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, it's just, it's work. Like I love what we do here, but it is a little bit work. And I keep my work out of Facebook for the most part. Um, but for two, I don't want to have to explain to every little bitty I go to church with why they should not subscribe to us. That too. <laughs> Listen, Betty, I know that you want to support me and you are the sweetest person, but you can't handle me saying fuck for the 30th time and then going and teaching children's choir at church. You just can't do it. Yeah. Only that lady from Ellen can do it. Yes. You know, you know who I'm talking about? Yes. I love, I love Jesus, Jesus. But I drink a but little. But I drink a little. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, goodness. You want to hear about a much worse lady? I thought we already talked about her. Wait, are you telling me there are two much worse ladies to talk about in this one episode? Because we already talked about the Supreme Court justice, bitch. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, there's another one. All right. Hit me with it. Uh, this week I watched Murder in New Hampshire. Which is the most like vague title considering what this case actually it, is. It is. And I'm gonna I'm gonna leave out what the case is because I I have a dawning moment when I'm watching this where I'm like, Oh, 
I know this case. Gotcha. Okay. But I'm going to try to do it while still introducing the cast. So if you know this case really, really well, you'll know what it is. But if not, you know. Surprise. Play along. Yep. It stars Helen Hunt. I know who that is. She plays Pam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You will know her from As Good As It Gets. Twister, Mad About You, Castaway, What Women Want, Saint Elsewhere, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, and every other movie in the world because she's been in it. You just listed literally all of my favorite things. Like, I did not realize I was such a fan of her until literally just now when you listed everything she's been in. And I'm like, I have such fond memories on all of that. You are welcome. Um, Chad Allen, he plays Billy. He was in... Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. I love Dr. Quinn. Um, a show called Our House. It's a very, very, very fine house. And Dexter. I know Dexter. Uh, and then finally we have Hank Stratton. He plays Greg. He's from The Unit, American Dreams, The Closer, Heroes. Wait, is it American Dreams with a Z? No. Okay. But he was in Heroes. I love Heroes. He was Doug Douglas. Ah, okay. And he was in NYPD Blue back in the day, which I fucking love that show. So good. Um, so we open on a teenager sleeping in a car while another one sits behind the wheel waiting for something. It's a stakeout. Mm, yeah, because teenagers are so good at <laughs> Meanwhile, a man opens his front door, but he unfortunately doesn't see the person dressed like a ninja hiding behind it. Now, when you say dressed like a ninja, mask, mm-hmm. all black, uh-huh. throwing stars. No, but I think he had like a, I don't want to say sword because he didn't have a sword. He was very ninja looking and his skull cap. Now, is this LARPing or is this insidious? Oh, we'll get there. Okay. LARPing it is. He calls out for (laughs) Haley and whistles. So please, God, let Haley be a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it, Haley is a dog, um, but is nowhere to be found. As he closes the door, he's accosted by two teenage children, one with a knife. They take his wallet and then ask for his wedding ring. He cries and says, please don't take my wedding ring. My wife will kill me. Uh, okay. And I was like, Oh, if it wasn't so ironic, it would be sweet. Right? Well, that's what I was saying. It's like, yeah. well, if you if you don't take it, I think I think they're going to kill you. Uh, the boys then argue because apparently actually killing someone is way more terrifying and traumatizing than it might seem when you think about it. No. Finally, one of the boys pulls out a gun, cries, asks God to forgive him, and shoots. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but I just, that poor man 
who his last moments were listening to a 16 year old cry <laughs> and beg for mercy as he pulled a goddamn trigger. Yep. Yeah. Just not good. Also, I'm like, oh, buddy, you must have been such a bad position that you could not fight these two idiots off. Ugh. And okay, so I just want to like on the outset, I refer to these teenagers as idiots quite a bit. And it's not because they are 100% at fault because they are children. Right. In the, in the scope of this story, they are children and they are victims too, if not, but although not the main victim of the story, obviously. Um, but they're really fucking dumb. Yeah. They're real dumb. And so I'm going to call them idiots, even though I kind of feel bad for them. Um, we cut to outside a courtroom where people are screaming in the middle of a blizzard. And you and I both live in the South. And let me tell you what I'm going to go outside and do in the middle of a blizzard. Literally fucking nothing. Literally nothing. <laughs> now, and I wrote, I was, I was just going to say like you and I both know though, that in the areas where we live, if the sonic ice machine explodes and there's ice in the parking lot, we cancel schools. So like we probably wouldn't be allowed outside. It would be lockdown part two. Yeah, if if it gets below like 35, everyone's on watch for like the, <laughs> the closure of the entire city. The bread and toilet paper immediately disappears from the Walmart shelves. Like It's true. And people make fun of us. But also you have to remember, I have to stick up for the South a little bit in that we don't have snow plows. We don't have we don't any have of that shit because it, it doesn't snow down here. Right. So when it does snow and one snowflake falls, we all lose our collective minds. Right. Anyways, so there's the people outside screaming in a blizzard. They go in the courthouse and they're like listening to the prosecutor talk and oh my god, this is the Pamela Smart case. Oh, so it didn't take you very long to figure out. That's good. Not very long, but I was excited. I was like, ooh, I didn't know. I just like kind of randomly picked it. Right. Um, in court, the prosecutor is giving a statement about how awful Pamela Smart is. Pamela is taking copious notes for reasons. She's also wearing a bow in her hair. And I know it's like the 80s in this movie, but... <laughs> How big is the boat? Is it Southern Charm or is it girls just want to no, have fun it's a, or? It's like a smallish, it's like a, you know, moms oh, in the 80s and okay, 90s. It's a reserved boat. adult bow. Okay. Right. Um, do, 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 do. We flashback. Oh, um, the prosecutor lays out how Pamela Smart convinced these kids to kill her husband. And we flashback. <clears throat> Pamela is lying on her bed listening to headphones. The phone rings and her mom answers because she doesn't hear. And it's Greg announcing that he got a job selling life insurance. Mom congratulates him and then he asks to speak to his fiance. Pam picks up the phone and Greg tells her to pack a bag because they're going to Boston. Um, I'm that's not quite the romantic getaway I want a phone call to say I'm escaping to. I mean, if someone offered to take me to Boston right now, I'd be pretty happy. 
I don't know, too close. Um, so on his way to pick Pam up, because when he's on the phone, he has long hair. Right. And by the time he gets to Pam's house, he got a haircut. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Yeah. It's a um, Boston haircut. Mm-hmm. So actually, well, he. He tells her it's because she ha- he has, like, a big new job, like, corporate job, and he's got to cut his hair. So, um, then, oh, Pam hates the hair. Hates it. And Greg said, and, and just, you know, because nobody knew what the world was going to look like in 2020. Greg says, quote, I may look like Donald Trump, but I still feel like John Bon Jovi. No. No. That is a regrettable line. Yeah. Um, he tells her as soon as he makes a name for himself with the company, he'll grow his long hair back. She's still upset, but they make out, so I guess it's fine. Um, she goes upstairs to finish packing and turns up her music to jam out to the memory of Greg's long, luscious locks. Good. That's the only appropriate way to grieve. Real music or lifetime music? Um, could be real. It's it, They're all into uh, to like heavy metal and rock music, so we'll get there. Okay. Um, just hold, please. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um... Back in court, the prosecutor is still going in on Pam pretty hard. Um, back in the past, Greg takes Pam to the Laura Ashley Hotel, apparently. <laughs> um, they light pink candles and he fires up the old boombox. <laughs> Man, they're just like, when was this movie released? Did you tell me? Did I forget? It was released in 99. Okay, so they were just the driving. The Pam this... Smart case was way early '90s, oh, I think. Yeah, so I'm just saying they were they were driving the like '80s setting oh, home yeah. hard. We cut to the wedding. Pamela thanks Greg's parents for making her feel so much a part of the family. After their honeymoon, Pam and Greg go to his parents' house to show them pictures and talk about a two hundred and seventy-five dollar toaster in the '80s. What? Who buys a $275 toaster now? Forget about the 80s. If I'm paying almost $300 for a toaster, it better also change baby's diapers and feed the dog. For real. Pam talks more about how much all of the gifts they got for their wedding cost, which is so tacky. Um, She admits that she went to the store and priced everything down to the penny and then made a computer printout so she could know the average cost of the gift from Greg's side of the family and the average cost of the gift from her own side of the family. Petty, Patty. I think you mean Petty Pam. Fair enough. Um, Greg interrupts and is like, hi, uh, no one cares. But Pam disagrees. Um, I'm already exhausted and I'm not even married to her. <laughs> Now Pam's lawyer is giving his opening statement. He explains context and assures the jury that if they use even a little sliver of their tiny little brain, they'll come back with a not guilty verdict. Fair enough. 
Pam comes home one day all upset because she didn't get a job at a TV station. And I just stopped. I was like, isn't she a teacher? No. I mean, yes, but no. But she does work at a school. She does work at a school, yes. And Greg does call her a teacher in the beginning of this movie. So I'm like, why is she auditioning for a, for a TV station job? She's a teacher. Gotcha. Listen, um, the state of education she predicted was going to suck real hard. For real. Greg is super sweet and tells her that he'd rather hear the news from her than from anyone on TV. It's like, oh, that's Aww. sweet. Pam is leading a self-esteem group where she meets Billy Flynn. Billy is talking about solving problems instead of doing cocaine. I mean, that's one way to solve problems. Oh, Pam tells them all how much she loves heavy metal music and she doesn't even do drugs. And she's like, and once I had Eddie Van Halen on my radio show, and he doesn't even do drugs either. And I was like, um, I have questions. Okay. (laughs) Also, RIP Eddie Van Halen. I know. Um, Back in court, the defense attorney calls calls it blood splatter. So I turned the movie off and didn't finish it. Fair enough. Uh, Pam is driving Billy and another student home and talking about her job. The girl gets out and leaves. So Pam tells Billy to get in the front seat quote. So I don't feel like your chauffeur. Pam and Billy talk about Van Halen and other bands. Uh, they get to Billy's house and he thanks her for the ride. And she tells him if he wants something bad enough, he can have anything he wants. And then I fell out of the off the couch laughing because as she drives away, she has a vanity plate that says Halen. No. No. Um, it's Christmas now. Pam, Greg, and the fam are around the piano singing the 12 Days of Christmas. Halfway through the song, though, Pam dips because that song is annoying as fuck. Um <laughs> Greg gets drunk, and when his parents drive them home, Pam and Greg get into a fight. Later, Greg's parents are getting into bed when someone starts pounding on the door. It's Pam saying that Greg hit her when they got into an argument. So mom hugs Pam, and dad goes over in his pajamas to give Greg a piece of his mind. Um, Greg explains his side, which is, that he didn't hit her, he just bumped into her and maybe hit her a little. That's all. Mm, that's not how that works. No. Uh, Dad tells Greg that he and Pam both need to get their shit together. <laughs> Greg's dad helps Pam set up a bed on the couch downstairs because she wants to sleep in her own house. She cuddles their adorable dog and goes to sleep. At work, Pam is trying to convince Billy and a couple of other kids to make a music video about orange juice. Well, why not? Why not? I'm really confused because they keep talking about the state of Florida wants this commercial for orange juice or whatever. And I'm like, aren't you in New Hampshire? Like, why? Uh, I got nothing. Um, For some reason, all the kids agreed to make a music video about... Orange juice. 
Orange juice, we love you with or without pulp. Orange juice, we love you. <laughs> then we see the music video, which Pam, the teacher, is in. Well, why not? She's she's Van Halen's girl. Yeah, she okay. is the song that that, or she is the subject of that song. Um, what was it? She walked out, rocked out to Wham. Not a big Limp Biscuit fan. Only been with <laughs> one man. She's still preoccupied with 1985. So they're all, all the girls are dressed up like cave women and they smash oranges with mallets and then eat them sexily. That's the music video. (laughs) That's not a... (laughs) That's an acid trip, friends. That's that's what that I is. I just wrote, what am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> Pam, after they're done, she asks Billy if she can shower at his house. Well, she's sticky and covered I'm in like, pulp. What? You are a teacher. Would you ever ask one of your students if you could shower Fuck at their no, home? No, but I also wouldn't be in this music video. So there are already <laughs> poor choices being made here. <laughs> Um, so they go to his house and she showers downstairs, Billy and this girl who I think is his sister the whole time, but actually isn't (laughs) are fighting with Billy's mom because they're going to go out dancing with Pam, but their mom, for some weird reason, thinks it's highly inappropriate. (laughs) Um, I agree with mom, which I think makes me old. Um, But Billy's like, if my dad was alive, he'd let me go. And then he storms out. So he wins that one. Um, So they all go out to this club. Pam's wearing a lace bra, a jean skirt, and a leather jacket. It's a really cute outfit, but not a cute outfit for taking your students out. No. No. Um, okay, uh, so they're dancing really, really close, and Billy's not sister can tell some things up. Um, at school the next week, Pam asks Billy to get some photos developed for her, and then she's like, wait, come back, I I have to ask you a question, and whatever the answer is, it's, it's totally fine, but, like, do you ever, like... Think of me when I'm like not around. Um, no. And wouldn't you know it? He's like, yeah, I totally think about you all the time. And she's like, oh my god, I totally think about you all the time too. He's sixteen. Uh huh. Uh huh. I have no more words. This is disgusting, and I've already researched this case. Um. So another day of working on the music video, Pam goes back to Billy's house and he gives her the photos she asked him to have developed. And wouldn't you know it, they're all pictures of Pam in various stages of undress. Nope. Nope. 
she teasingly asks Billy if he snuck a peek, and he says he did. You may then she tells him arrested several times. Then she tells him that he can just have the picture because they're too amateur for her modeling portfolio. I'm going to barf. And then they start making out. Great. She stops because she's like, oh my God, I'm married. I have to go. I'm married. I, I, uh, we, can't, we can't do this. I'm married. No, and not once does she say, we can't do this. I'm your teacher. 16. Or we can't do this. You're a child. Okay. Later in bed, Greg tries to get it on with her, but Pam's not interested. They fight about it, and he says he's going to get himself a beer, quote, for oral gratification. And I was like, I don't Please think those never say words, those words together. He, I don't think that means what he thinks it means. No. Mm. Nope. Uh, now Pam is on the stand in court talking about how much she loved Greg. And then we cut immediately to Pam and Billy making out in her car. Great. You know, her car, Halen. Great. <laughs> Halen. I can't. Um... Then we cut to Billy making crazy plans to, like, tell his mom he's at a sleepover, but really he's going to be at Pam's house. And I was like, oh, high school. Yeah. But also not with my teachers. Thanks. Um, Billy assures his friends that Pam's totally nuts about him. His friends briefly discuss how weird it is. You should have probably stopped at the first half of that sentence. Yeah. She's just totally nuts. <laughs> um, so Billy and Pam. Okay. This is the weirdest shit. Yes. Cause everything else has been so normal. <laughs> okay. So they're at Pam's house and Billy and Pam are on the couch making out while Billy's not sister just sits next to them. Watching a video of a woman stripping. What? What face am I making? Can you describe <laughs> this? The fuck? I know. I'm still like, I, I, I'm half convinced I made this whole movie up. <laughs> Maybe you had the acid trip. Maybe it wasn't the orange juice commercial. I don't know. Um... <clears throat> Then Billy and Pam venture upstairs to have sex. And that's all I'm going to say about that because it's disgusting. Um, oh, God. Oh, d- later, they talk about how magical it was. and Great. Mm. Great. And then she breaks up with him because she wants to be with him. And she can't imagine not being able to be with him all the time. And so she has to break up with him. Well, you have to. That's the rule. Also, she's married and he's 16. Billy's like, why don't you just get divorced? Winston does not like any of this. Did you hear that dissent? (laughs) No, I did not. And she says that she can't get divorced because Greg is mean and he would take everything, including the dog. (laughs) I'll get you my pretty and your little dog, too. Slowly starts laying the he abuses me groundwork. But of course, in the end, it just comes down to the fact that she can't leave Greg. She kisses Billy and asks him if she'll help him, and he says yes. 
And then she's like casually like, cool. Do you know anyone that would kill him? I mean, if you haven't had a conversation like this at least three times recently, then you're not living life right. I've never had a conversation like this. You're um, not living life right. Okay. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, while they're talking about killing Greg, Greg and his dad are collecting salesman of the year awards at their job. So Great. good for them. Good for them. Pam keeps working on Billy to kill Greg. She pretends to have a bruise on her arm. And so Billy says, he's like, I'll kill Greg myself. And that's all she needs to hear. And like, suddenly she's giving him like a rundown on exactly what to do and how to get away with it. Good. Okay. So Tuesday at 2 PM, he comes home from work every day. He wants a sandwich made up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Um, Billy's not sister comes in as like, Y'all aren't actually going to do this, right? You're just making jokes. You're not going to kill Greg. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. And Pam's like, no, we're just totally trying to figure out how we can be together. Casual. So Billy goes home and blasts his music. Um, then he calls Pam to say he didn't kill Greg because he doesn't have a car on account of not being old enough to drive and not having a gun. Okay. I mean, those are those are two very important distinctions. Pesky, pesky problems. Um, so Pam breaks up with him again. Good, good. Very mature. I but like where this is going. the next day, he, he goes to her office and she says she's going to give him another chance. But, okay. Um, I don't like that option as much as, as, much as the breaking up. Uh, if we could dial it back a little bit. So Billy goes to talk to his friends about killing Greg. They're all less than on board at first. He tells his friends that she's making that she's making him kill Greg or she's going to break up with him. And so this is the only way they can be together. And then his friends are like, yo, this is actually called abuse. And like, let's no, let's talk to some professionals. His friends were like, cool, let's plan it. They're all just and like so slapping Billy, each other's shoulders because he's getting laid. Yeah. That's how teenage boys and work. Billy and his friends are. Billy tells his friends, oh, she's going to give us $1,000 to split. And they think that's a lot of money. So maybe, maybe what you missed was they were going to get $1,000 to split. And she's giving each of them one of those toasters, the dog feeding, no. baby changing toasters. <laughs> so they go and do some hijinks while Pam sits in her office in the dark and just ominously waits for them. But they don't kill Greg again. And they tell her it's because they got lost. So Pam's like, oh, okay, well, you'll do it next time. Let me take you home. NBD. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. Listen, tomorrow always comes. You got another chance. So she drops Billy's friend off first. And then she, like, pulls away and screeches to the curb and is like, what the fuck, Billy? Um... She says he's either a coward or he doesn't love her. And either way, he disgusts her. So she's got a, a degree in gaslighting for sure. For sure. Um, Billy begs for one more chance, but Pam kicks him out of the car and speeds away. Um, our merry band of poor high school idiots um, sit around and watch Greg cry because if he loses Pam, he's going to kill himself. Um Billy goes back to Pam and says his friends want $1,000 each. So he and Pam make up. 
Um, Pam lets Billy's friends drive her car around town while they plan the murder for a third time. She draws Billy directions to her house. I'd like to believe it's with a lipstick on a um, paper towel. And she tells them not to use a knife because it's messy and it will ruin her furniture. But for some reason, a gunshot is neither of those things. No. No. Um, then they discuss what she should do when she finds the body. Um, so then we cut to Pam at work and she's like walking down the hall with Billy's not sister and telling her all about how they're going to go kill Greg. Everyone's going to go kill Greg that day. And I'm like, is there anyone at the school who doesn't know about this yet? How did this not get stopped way before it happened? It cuts to teachers in the lounge. Like, Oh, they're finally going to kill Greg. Did you hear that? Like smoking cigarettes Um, in the lounge and just like shooting the breeze. So the guys go pick up another friend um, so that the getaway driver won't have to sit alone in the car. That was very considerate. (laughs) Billy is a gentleman. Pam goes to a school board meeting for funding of her media class while the crime is going on. She gets her funding, but something tells me she won't be able to use it. Um, The boys ransack the house and then get ready to lie and wait until Greg comes home. He does. They kill him. Pam comes home, discovers the body, and screams. <sighs> Greg's parents arrive on scene and, of course, are devastated. They make a big scene, which is awful. Um, then they go back to Greg's. They all go back to Greg's parents' house, and Pam sp- stares into space. And then, when they ask her a question, she's like, "Where's the dog?" Yep. Okay. Um, so, Billy and his friends and all of Pam's like high school friends who she shouldn't have because she's an adult, um, get called into the office for the principal to tell them that Greg was murdered. They all decide to go to the wake together and she hugs all of them at the police station. Pam gets questioned about Greg's behavior and whether the murder was drug related. She insists that Greg never did drugs and neither did she. They didn't believe in drugs, which is a weird thing to say. Um, They're not, they're not Santa Claus. She suggests maybe it was a burglary. The officers ask if Greg was ever violent with her and she says no. So everyone Okay, so, like, back at school, everyone starts running their mouths, of course. Like, because they're teenagers. Right. I'm actually surprised it took this long. Um, the friends of Billy, who they got the gun from, confronts the other friends who, of course, because he's like, uh, I keep hearing all around town that y'all were the ones that killed Greg. And they were like, yeah, we totally did it. We got these speakers and 500 bucks a piece. Whoa. You're rich. So the kid goes home and tells his dad because he's the one that gave them the gun. Right. So he tells his dad and his dad takes the gun to the cops and is like, cool, here's this gun. I didn't do it. Bye. <laughs> um, he leaves it in a bag tar- marked like totally not John Johnson's fingerprints. Yeah. Um. 
Pam's at home when she hears the news that the boys have been arrested. She goes to bed and cries because poor her. Um, Billy. Billy's not, as it turns out, little sister. This is when I finally figured out that it wasn't his sister. (laughs) (laughs) Turns herself in and confesses that she knew everything. She agrees to wear a wire and talk to Pam. She's obviously freaking the fuck out because... Of course she is. Um, And then she goes to talk to Pam. Pam tells her to lie about what she knows because then the police will leave her alone. Great. And then Pam, of course, is an idiot and talks about how everyone is going to believe her instead of the kids because she's an adult and they're just kids. Perfect. So the cops roll into her office and arrest her. Bye, bitch. Um, They call Greg's parents and let them know that Pam's been arrested. Um, Meanwhile, the three kids are all apparently allowed in a room together to discuss whether or not to take the the plea deal and roll on Pam together. Which I'm like, they really only need one of you. Right. I don't know why they're trying to get all three of you. They only need one of you. Um, Billy whines about how he promised Pam he would never tell. Um, but they finally convince him and they all agree to testify against Pam. So now we're back in court and Billy is giving his testimony. He cries. Um, then the jury deliberates and it's time for the verdict. She's guilty. People stand up in the back of the courtroom and cheer, which is super icky to me. Right. It's like, I understand you're happy she's going to jail, but like a guy still was murdered and like, not the time. I was, I was just going to go with it's not the time. It's like when white people clap because a plane landed. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Uh, That's a whole other problem. Um, We cut to a procession of people arriving at the cemetery with roses for Greg's gravestone. They lay them down and Greg's father tells him he can finally rest. The end. Poor thing. How that's Mm -hmm. rough. Yeah. All right. Well, as you mentioned... This is the case of Pamela Smart, and it's just as fucked up as you'd imagine. It sure is. So I got my information from Wikipedia and Murderpedia, um, and I forgot to write the authors down from the Murderpedia article that I um, used, and so my apologies. But um, the disclaimer, okay. as always, is I none of this is my own words. I do like I research other people's things um, and I am appreciative that there are other like actually hardworking people in the world who do the things that make my life possible. Mm-hmm. So um, Pamela Ann Wohas was born in Coral Gables, Florida. She's the second of three children. Um, her sister Elizabeth is six years older and her brother John is three years younger and her father worked as a commercial airline pilot and was not around very often. Um, (laughs) She had kind of a strange relationship with her dad, in fact, and um, her mom was a court stenographer. Okay. So when she was in elementary school, she moved with her family to Wyndham, New Hampshire and she uh, went to high school eventually at Pinkerton Academy in Derry, where she was a cheerleader. And she was known as like the quintessential high school cheerleader. Um, after high school, she went to college at Florida State University. And she graduated with honors um, with a communication degree in 1988. Um, 
And so she actually graduated in just over three years um, and graduated with a 3.85 GPA. So Mm -hmm. she had all the makings of somebody really smart and driven to have come up with such a, a, a lacking plan. It's just so sad. Yeah. Um, so she was on um, her college radio. Like she was a DJ on her college radio show. She was really into media mm-hmm. and communications. Um, and while she was a DJ at her college radio station, um, she combined her passion for heavy metal music and um, her passion for her career. So she hosted a once a night, no, one night a week radio show that she called Metal Madness. And she called herself exactly what I think you would call yourself too, Erin, the maiden of metal. Yes, she mentions that in the movie. <laughs> so she met Gregory Smart in 1986 at a New Year's Eve party. And they formed a very serious relationship starting in 1987 and uh, dated for two years before they were married. They um, bonded over their shared love for heavy metal music. Greg even bought her a Shih Tzu, which she named Halen after her favorite rock group, Van Halen. Oh, so the dog's name is Halen. I just can't hear. Right. Awesome. So, um, and also, of course, right. The dog's fucking name is Halen. So they appeared to be like the uh, the perfect all-American couple. Um, Pam would describe her life with Greg as picture perfect. She uh, said that it epitomized the promise of a wonderful future. Um, he was this great catch. He was free-spirited. He was fun-loving. She loved his long hair. Um, and then she was the like 23-year-old perky bride. Um they even had this, what they thought was this adorable, quirky thing they had in common, where they would spell their names in unusual na- ways. So she signed her nickname P A M E, but pronounced it Pammy. So, like, she didn't go by Pam, she went by Pammy, but then she spelled it like Pame. Is that supposed to be endearing? Well, you didn't get to the cute quirky part because his name was Gregory and he signed it G-R-E-G-G adding the second G because why not? Yes, the finger gun was necessary. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it was though. (laughs) Although I can only imagine someone who spells their names with two G's does the finger guns a lot right so i was channeling that not i don't know that any time in my life i've ever done a finger gun in seriousness but i know there are people who do like that they think this is a greeting but you have to double fist it okay sorry um anyway so they settled down in their quiet little hometown of Derry. um they moved to this upscale residential area um, in this ring of two-story condos. They rented this like beautiful, brand-new condo. It had contemporary furniture, including exactly what you want in every late 80s, early 90s house. A white leather couch. 
true story, my parents had a white leather coach. Of course they did. Until last year. Oh my god. Mm. Um they had two cars. They it had a, you know, like a a front door that stood. Oh, I mean, a front door. I can't even read. It had very Did t- they have a front door? <laughs> Shut up. That's They're just showing out now. They had decor that was like attractive and trendy. Like it was very clear that Pam felt very strongly about like keeping up with the Joneses and appearances. Um and they lived only a block away from his parents. Great. Yep. So Greg would often brag to his parents about how Pam was going to be a wonderful mother for their future children. If the way she treated their dog, Halen was any indication. And I'm like, so listen, dogs and kids are different. Just a little. (laughs) And like, yes, we're fostering, but even before we got the foster kid, I knew that dogs and kids were different. And like, I was never a dog dad kind of person. Because mm-hmm. dogs and kids are different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, that's why when my sister calls her dogs her babies, and, and she's like, she talks about them like they are children. And I'm like, they're not children, though. R- Very right. much not. Um, so he mentioned that she'd fuss over Halen, that she would cook him, like, she would cook the dog dinners. And she would take him for walks numerous times away a, a day and she'd protect him from like any disturbances. And so, um, that's, I feel like that's just normal. Right. Dog behavior. Right. Well, so in reality, Pam wasn't like selflessly protecting the dog. She was just looking out after her own interests. She in fact described herself as um, your typical Leo, she said, quote, you know, walk in, have to be the center of everything. Everywhere I go, I'm always attracting attention for some reason or another. I'm loud, very outgoing and stuff. I hate when people use their star sign to, like, justify their own shitty behavior. Right. It's like, I can't help that I'm a fucking asshole. I'm a Taurus. <laughs> yeah, you can. You sure can. Right. right. Ugh, it drives me nuts. Um, so she was super type A and a super control freak. And like the need to always be the center of attention was actually her need for control kind of, um, turning itself into a personality trait. So Mm -hmm. she was one of those people who would like, she compulsively organized her clothing in like color coordinated groupings. She'd even fold her dotty, her dotty laundry, her dirty Mm -hmm. laundry into like color coordinated separate hampers, but she would fold them up. Like not, not just throw them in balls in the bins and like call it a day. Cause like I wash separate loads, but I don't fold my clothes to put them in the. Yeah. Cause bin. you're normal. Right. Um, she would become upset if her schedule was disrupted in any way. So she just had to always be in control of everything. Um, so the, the trouble started soon after their wedding. Um, in reality, the problem was that Greg began to grow up. Um, 
so he began acting more like conservative. He wasn't the like loud metal head with the long hair that he had been in college right. because everyone's allowed to after college then step into an adult role in their lives. But correct, she was not having that um, because he decided to work for the same company as his father um, and he was an insurance salesman. Um, he created this whole new image for himself. He, um, like, well, in, even, even as he stopped, like, being an out, outward, like, ad- addict to rock music, he still, like, mm-hmm. bought himself nice equipment. He had a guitar. He had expensive speakers that he put in his truck, as well as, like, nice amps at home to play with his guitar. Um, he I mean, sure, to he's heavy metal growing music. up, he's not right. dead. Right. Um, but she had decided that he'd lost his intensity and that this was just not, um, great for her. And then the shocker came for Pam when he cut his shoulder length hair. Um, her initial attraction to him was his long hair. She said that he looked like John Bon Jovi, but now she said he looked like a New England yuppie. (laughs) So, <laughs> by, by seven months into their marriage, they had some serious marital problems. Nearing their first anniversary, Greg confessed to Pam that he was having an affair. Um, okay. Yeah. But they did not cover that in the movie. Right. Um, but then Greg confided in his parents his plans for a party to celebrate their first anniversary, like, just a week later. And um, he planned to fly them to Florida. He said, um, he told his parents, if there's anything Pam really loves, it's lying on the beach. She's a real sun bunny, which is not a phrase I've ever heard in my entire life and don't ever want to hear again. Oh, I kind of like it. I hope you can have it. Okay, thanks. <laughs> From then on, however, every time they got into an argument, Pam would bring up the affair. Um, In court, she testified that she didn't feel important anymore. Obviously, it affected my trust. Uh, Okay. Having an affair is very bad. Yes. But. I I feel like. I feel like it's. I don't know. I'm not married. So what do I know? I'm just saying that if you're going to decide to try to work things out, eventually you're going to have to let that. It can no longer be ammunition. Right. You can't just bring it up every time something happens forever and ever and ever till the end of time. Right. And you definitely can't use it as like a, oh, well, he pissed me off and then he had that affair. So now I'm going to murder him. Right. Exactly. And he cut his hair. God. God. Um. So she decided that she wanted to pursue her career and she wanted out of the marriage. So um, she took a job to try to advance her career. She took a job as the media coordinator at Winnicunnet High School in Hampton, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. That is Winnicunnet because mm-hmm. I bled that together and it sounded like I'd said something that I never say. <laughs> If I say that word to you, I'm pissed. I know. Um, so it was here 
at WHS that Pam met William Bill Flynn in the fall of 1989 through Project Self-Esteem, which was like a, it was a drug prevention program like D.A.R.E. in their school. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, just... Sorry, it's just, I can't imagine sitting at a D.A.R.E. meeting and my eyes meeting across the room at another person stuck there because they need community service hours. And it's like, you hear the theme from Romeo and Juliet. Um, what's that face for? No, keep going. I'm just painting a scene for you, a tone poem, if you will. Um. Anyway, so they struck up a friendship during this and um, then they continued their relationship and grew even closer through working on an orange juice video competition. That was a real life thing, Erin. I, I, why? <laughs> oh, you know, the 80s. Like, I feel like that's just the explanation. Just the 80s. I don't know. I lived in the 80s. I don't remember. Oh, good. Big Dick's back. (laughs) Got that big dick energy. God damn it. Oh, I hate him. Okay. Um, Anyway, so... um, It was around the same time that Greg confessed his affair to Pam... Um, that she deepened her relationship with Billy. Um, so it, she felt she was encouraged to spend more time with the young people she'd befriended. No, if I believe I can say this with an air of expertise, being a teacher, if Mm -hmm. you feel like you need to get closer to the children you teach, you need to find a new profession. She is how old at this point? She's only 22. So to be fair, she's only six years older than Billy, which is not I mean, as gross, I, but it's gross. I guess that's where the lines get blurred, but also you're in a position of authority over these right. people. And so you're not supposed to be their friend. Right. Exactly. Um, it's like with my girls. I'm like, I will hang out with y'all all the time when you graduate. Right. Not now. <laughs> I tell my students I love this. y'all. Every time they turn 21, I'm like, okay, when you graduate, we'll have a drink. Right. Not before then. <laughs> um, Even though you're legal, you know. My social media is always open for my students. Like, it's not private. But I, I have yeah. teacher accounts that they are allowed to follow. That the deal is I will follow them when they're no longer my student. Or mm-hmm. when they're no longer a student at the school at which I teach. So, like... This year, I teach eighth graders. Next year, they'll be at a new school, and I'll follow every one of them back because I'm no longer anywhere close to a position of power over them. Exactly. Um, I mean, I follow my girls, but also, like, it's it's just such a slippery slope, especially, I mean, and I feel like an actual teacher-student relationship is a lot different. Oh, absolutely. And, like, I'm not giving those girls grades or anything like that, you know? Um. So, you know, you just mentioned how old she was. She was 22 and she was attractive by all accounts. She had shoulder she length, very blonde streaked, and like her hair was fluffed out in front. Very like 80s 
very trendy. Um, she was described as having dark ringed raccoon eyes that made up to perfect, that were made up to perfection. Um, she had this perky disposition. She fit in with the students. Um, but again, I feel like people hiring teachers, like one of the things shouldn't be fit in with the students. Right. You don't want to fit in with the students. No. You're a teacher, not their friend. And it's an inc- it's incredibly hard for teachers their first couple of years, especially like if they go straight into high school teaching, that look young or yeah. behave young, that um, it's incredibly difficult for those lines to get drawn. So like you have to do everything you can to do that. Yeah. So I will say that um, in a couple of things that I read, um, it was mentioned that um, Pam had a thing for the fact that Greg had a baby face. So take that for with what you may. But um, th- this one article kind of ooged me out. And if I had to read it, you had to read it or listen to it at least. Mm-hmm. It describes Billy Flynn as Billy Flynn's 150 pound, five foot 11 inch frame was still growing. Shy looking with his big round eyes and dark shoulder length hair, sporting an earring and a black leather jacket, playing the guitar, he resembled a young Paul McCartney. He too was dedicated to rock music, especially heavy metal, his favorite being Motley Crue. Crew. Motley Crue. Motley Crue. <laughs> <laughs> he was a dead ringer for what Pam was looking for in a potential mate. No, no, he wasn't. He was a he child. Was... <laughs> He was, in fact, 15 when they met, so she was seven years older, but he turned 16 pretty quickly, but yes. Disgusting. Oh, my God. Um, I'm just trying to imagine this happening to my child and some, like, weird-ass teacher being like, I'm going to take him to a concert, and I'm going to be like, no, you're not. Right. Additionally, your kid That's is so fucking, fucking awkward that you're in luck. I... <laughs> poor baby. Did I tell you he managed to pass Kim? Thank God. By the skin of his goddamn teeth. I don't want to know how he did it. I'll never know. I, I was about care. to load up in the car. Uncle Paul was about God. to come out. <laughs> Academic recovery. Jesus Christ. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so, um, she said... She said she was attracted to him from the very beginning. Quote, I thought he was a good kid. He was easy to talk to, friendly. He liked some of the same music I liked. He played the guitar. Listen, I have students I could describe the exact same way that I never wanted to fuck at any point. Is she trying to justify the fact that she was in love with this 16-year-old child? I think. I think. There's a word for people like her. Do you know what it is? Please tell me. Pedophile. Okay. I was hoping that's where you were going, but I was like, this could be literally anything that comes out of Aaron's mouth next. Nope. Yep, I just can't. It's, it, it, it's really frustrating with, especially like the, you know, the, it's the same thing with Mary Kay Turner, right? Uh-huh. That's who, that's in fact what I thought you were going to say was the word for someone like her, was Mary Kay Letourneau. No. And Mary Kay Turner is also a pedophile or was, um, but it's, it's almost like more acceptable 
when it's a woman teacher and a boy student. Uh-huh. Because that's like the old trope, right? The hot teacher and the you know, the kid with the big crush on her. It's disgusting. I hate yeah. it. But meanwhile, if the situation was flipped and some like old dude teacher was trying to take out all the girls, that shit would have been shut down before this even got off the ground. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like you and I have a very colored view from the fact that we have, we both grew up in the Bible belt and where purity culture is a thing and where the onus of sex is on women, on the women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see that played out all the time too, that a, a teenage boy is being like high five by his buddies yeah. because because he got an older woman, which puts the onus of this still on the woman. Like, yes, he was victimized for sure, but there should have been pause from somebody that's like, dude, this is illegal. Dude, this is disgusting. Yeah. Dude, this is literally anything but what you should be doing. Well, and there should have been like an administrator to be like, this is all a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, so Just she, any adult teacher should not hang out with their kids outside of school. Right. Ever. Um, so she also became over friendly and overstepped the boundaries with her student intern that came with the job, um, Cecilia Pierce. And I'm going to venture that that is Billy's not sister. That's Billy's not sister. Yeah. Good. Um, they very quickly became best friends. In fact. No, you are not best friends with a student. You're not your student's girlfriend and you're not the other student's best friend. That's disgusting. Oh my God. So Pam knew that Cecilia wanted to be a journalist, but was very interested in Pam's job as an alternative if she couldn't like get a journalist job quickly. Um, and so Cecilia quickly became Pam's sounding board for like everything that was going on in her life. So she would like come in, prop her feet up and be like, you'll never guess what Greg said last night. Cecilia, you're breaking my heart. I love that song so much. You're shaking my confidence daily. Sorry. So Billy Flynn. I think of that song every time I hear the name Cecilia. Me too. Um, so Billy Flynn ran with a tough crowd that included, um, Pete Randall. His name was Patrick, but he went by Pete. Yeah. Um, sounds like a real tough dude. Right. Pete Randall Old and Petey Randall. Vance J.R. Latame uh, Jr. Um, they were close. They were always in the neighborhood. People in people in the neighborhood often referred to them as the three musketeers. Um, they ran errands, they shoveled snow, they handled odd jobs. Like the old people loved them, but they were just kind of like those typical blue collar kids who always had a chip on their shoulder, but were like, right. You know, like some, some old lady would say they were raised, right. Cause they'd go out of their way to help old people. Um, listen, they're the bad boys with the good heart that every girl pretended not to have a crush on in high school because we're all supposed to like the football boys, but we all really like those boys. Right. So, um, just a little bit about these group, this group of boys was called the Brookies 
and I don't know if they called themselves that or if media did, but they were from um, an area called South Seabrook. And so that's where they got the term the Brookies. Oh, I was going to say because they're like brownies and cookies. Yes, exactly. Um, so William Patrick Flynn, Billy Flynn, was born March 12, 1974. Um, he grew up in a pretty troubled household. Um, he watched his father um, abuse his mother often. Um, do, 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 trying to just skip through because I thought all this information was important at one time, but it's only a little bit important. Um, so he kind of just watched his parents' marriage fall apart. Um, and then his dad was excessively hard on him. He had two brothers, but he was very hard on Billy. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, um, Events converged in Billy's life in 1986, which caused him many difficulties. His mother decided to leave his father after she found out that he'd been cheating on her for years. So she moved from California to New Hampshire. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So I skipped the part where he grew up in California and um, in Seabrook. So he was this angry little guy um, who didn't move to New Hampshire until... Um, he was in junior high. And okay. so it was there that he met his two best friends, Jr. and Pete. Okay. So Jr. um was um that like typical nerdy kid. He had dark curly hair, he had this long thin face, he wore thick glasses, um, and he had this impressive book collection. Um, he was very proud of his anthology of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and he was also very proud of his old Camaro that he was fixing up, but it seems like he, it seems like his hobby was fixing up the car. Like not that it was ever a goal, but that his hobby was going to be banging on the car. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then he, he also had ambitions of becoming a Marine. Um, and like he was known to spend lots of time visiting his grandmother and he would like, go help out at church at the holiday dinners for like the homeless. And, um, so in general, just like that's precious. Sarah made me a spider web mask for Halloween. Stop. I love it. Um, thank you. So, um, and then there was Pete. Pete, like I said, his name was actually Patrick Randall. He was short, but he was very athletic looking. Like he was short and stout um, or like sturdy. Um, His mother Mm -hmm. described him as a loving son. He always hugged both parents before he was going out, no matter who was there. Um, Of the three, he flirted the most on the like other side of the law. He had a history of truancy. Um, There was a rumor that his goal in life was to be a hitman. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, one of okay, his, yeah. I hold on. You breeze right by that, like we didn't need to talk about it. I, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he skipped a lot of high school. So he, the truancy okay. officer, got called a lot. Is that the that was the part I breezed I breezed by? Not not the hitman. You don't want to talk more about the hitman thing. 
I want to know about the hitman thing. I just have a sentence that says that this is just a rumor at his school that he'd said he wanted to be a hitman. Um, but his teachers actually loved him. Like no one saw any of these three boys as, um, potentially murderous teens, which is usually how it goes. Um, and then the article said, and then there was the intern. Um, which of course puts all the onus on the woman again, the way they start this up. Of course. So Cecilia Pierce from South Seabrook, like I said, was Pam's student intern. She was blonde haired and blue eyed. She was 15 also. And she enjoyed, enjoyed all the attention she was getting from Pam. Um, so it, I'm sure that it gave her this like rush to be treated like an, like a intimate associate, like a, you know, like a best friend, you know, um, I can imagine that that went to her head very easily because 15 is a hard age where you're trying to find your place in life. And then mm-hmm. this like older woman comes in and finds your place in life for you and like makes you feel important. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, her friendship with Pam as this article said, was unequal from the start. And I'm like, no, no way. You, mean, you mean like, because she was a grown ass adult who was in charge of 15 year olds. And one was a 15 was a year random old. pause. <laughs> Sorry. I had to drink water. I was about to cough into the microphone. Oh, okay. Um, so, um, and this, this friendship actually interfered with like the rest of her life. Um, it got in the way of her friends, her schoolwork, her home life, and, um, like, drove a wedge between Cecilia and her own mother. Well, yes, because when you suddenly become best friends with a teacher and let that take up all your time, you don't have time for your normal kid friends. Right. Who well, you and, have because you're a kid. And, um, her mother, who was also named Cecilia... Um, called her on her bullshit and she flat out said, I liked it less and less. I was actually getting angry. I even said to her, you'd think Pam was your mother. Well, I'm your mother, not Pam. So, okay. It was clearly an obvious issue. Yeah. So Pam, Billy and Cecilia hung out together and they would go to like the typical teenager hangouts, like malls and restaurants and like the beachfront arcades and clubs. It was never like a, let's go to a coffee shop. Like a 22 year old might want to do mm-hmm. situation. Um, so she would invite the teens to her condo to work on various projects. Um, and so basically Greg was spending more and more time with his friends from work. So she was spending more and more time with her friends and especially the 15 year old Billy. No. Um, so this relationship evolved until February, 1990 when Pam asked Billy, do you ever think about me when I'm not around? Um, and this is kind of collected from, from testimony um, that this is kind of how this conversation went. He admitted that he did. And she said, well, I think about you all the time. And I choose to believe it was said in that voice. Does that voice, like, is that voice attractive? I just, the listeners need to let me know. 
because no, you look, you look like you're concerned. Um, but I, think I am. I think you're probably just concerned about Pam and Billy and not my stellar voice acting abilities. Um, so I'm just going to continue on. Can you not? <laughs> so, um, basically, Billy was hooked. Um, before he met Pam, life was normal. He was putting in his time in high school. He was hanging out with his um, wannabe bad boyfriends. Um, sure. He was admiring Pam from a distance. But then, uh, and this is according to um, to a, a writer that was referenced in this. And um, I wish mm-hmm. that I had tagged this name because um, I just got the last name. So Wiki was the last name, but I don't remember what they wrote now. Um, so, so Wiki says, quote, here was a woman to whom he had, here was a woman he, to whom he'd been attracted from the moment he first saw her with whom he'd been flirting without hope, revealing that she was attracted to him. Pam said she did not know what to do about her feelings because she was married, but that Billy was constantly on her mind. No, no. So about the problem the- is not that you're married. It's that you're a grown up and he's a child. And what you should do is go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also that. quit your job. Um, so about three weeks after this conversation, Pam kissed Billy while on the bed, listening to nothing else but Motley Crue's starry eyes on repeat. So, I hate everything about this story. Uh-huh. Um. Do, 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 do. So, um, Billy had been this kind of boisterous young kid until about two months before his 13th birthday. Um, his father died. It was a freak accident. Our car pulled out in front of him and he veered off the road into a gas, like, sorry, he veered into the rear of a gasoline tanker. Um, Mm -hmm. and basically 9,000 gallons of fuel blew up around him. And the only thing left (gasps) to identify him was his teeth. Oh my God. Yeah. So after that, Billy was very quiet. Um, she said, uh, so Billy's mom said that um, he'd always been kind of quiet since then, but all of a sudden he started acting out at home. She said he wasn't violent by any means, but um, she said outside of the family, people saw a kid that was polite and charming. That was one side of Billy that he projected to people when he wanted to impress them. He wanted to be liked. Inside the family is where he took out his anger. He has an attitude when something's bothering him. It's like a volcano waiting to erupt. Great. Um, so then one of, um, Billy's friends I mentioned was J.R. Latimer and, uh, J.R.'s family took in another boy, Ralph Welch. Um, they taken him in because he was in some pretty rough circumstances. They encouraged him to go back to school cause he was planning on dropping out. Um, and so, um, on the, on the fringe of all of this was also Raymond Fowler, who was an admitted petty thief. And, um, he ultimately played a minor role in the situation, but this is now just kind of the cast of characters. Um, so Pam, as I mentioned, was that super type a super organized, gotta be in control of everything person. And so Mm -hmm. she'd set out 
slowly and pretty easily manipulating Billy. Mm-hmm. So in late March, Pam took the opportunity to um, have some fun, said this article, and it made me want to vomit. While Greg was out of state for an insurance meeting, she invited Bill and Cecilia over to the condo to watch movies. One was Nine and a Half Weeks with Kim Basinger and Mickey Rourke. Um, uh, like with their, have you ever seen Nine and a Half Weeks? Because there's that like real, no. there's this like weird sexual scene that is uncomfortable for everybody. And so she wanted to watch Great. it with her 15 year old besties. Excellent. So shortly after, Cecilia um, Cecilia went downstairs to walk the dog, and Pam invited Billy upstairs to the bedroom that she shared with Greg, and she slipped on her favorite turquoise negligee and put on some Van Halen and Sammy Hagar and consummated her relationship with this child. Um, you said raped wrong. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. I did mispronounce raped this child. There you go. Um, so over the next few weeks, they met to have sex. He would like slip into her office and like, I don't know that they would have sex in her office, but it would be a very like sexually tense place. Um, And so every time they'd meet up, she'd say, you have to get rid of Greg. Otherwise, we can't keep seeing each other. And when Billy questioned her about getting a divorce, she said that Greg would follow her everywhere so that she would not be able to have a boyfriend and she would probably lose the condo and furniture and all of that. And she absolutely could not bear the thought of losing Halen. And then she claimed that... I can guarantee you that Greg has better shit to do than follow her around. Right? I mean, not to be tacky, but he'd already had an affair. So, like, he wasn't paying attention to her. He was already following other people around. Um, yeah. And then. But this is what I don't understand. Like, get a divorce. Right. She said. You had. She. He had an affair. You are a pedophile who's raping a 16 year old boy. So, you have your own issues. Y'all need to get a divorce. Um, both need therapy for sure. And then she said, he beats me and the only way to get rid of him is to kill him. Um, So. I'm not going to get on that soapbox today. There's just, there's so many. Um, So after she manipulated him enough to know that the only way they could be together um, is to get rid of Greg. So on May 1st, 1990, um, Pam Smart came home from a work meeting to find her condominium had been ransacked and her husband had been murdered. Murder was rare in Derry, New Hampshire, and this would be the only murder investigation of the entire year. Okay. So it's not like the police literally had anything else to do. Like. Right. Okay. So police say that, um, it looked like a disrupted burglary. Um, and then, of course, she was later accused of seducing Billy and threatening to stop having sex with him, raping him, unless he killed her husband. Flynn did so with the help of his friends Pete Randall, Vance Latimer Jr., and Raymond Fowler. 
So Billy actually shot Greg as Randall held him down and Latimer was the getaway driver. Um, he was waiting with Raymond Fowler. So during the course of the investigation, um, Latimer's father, JR's father brought a 38 caliber pistol that he'd found in his house to the police, believing that it might be the murder weapon. An anonymous tip also indicated that a teenager named Cecilia Pierce was aware of the plan. So police talked to Cecilia and she agreed to wear a wire to record some conversations with Pam in hopes that she would say something incriminating, which she obviously did. Also, like, brave-ass Cecilia, can you imagine, like, you have this person as, like, your mentor and, um someone who you really look up to and like is supposedly your best friend even though you're she's your teacher shouldn't be your best friend that's a whole other story but and then you're gonna like go and wear a wire oh yeah i mean like that's balls good for her for sure so on august 1st 1990 at 105 p.m um detective daniel pelche pelche entered um, Smart's office unannounced. She recognized him, having spoke to him on at least six different occasions. Um, so she was taken by surprise and she said, what's up? And he said, well, Pam, and he said this into the recording, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is that we've solved the murder of your husband. The bad news is you're under arrest. What for? Smart asked. The bad news is <laughs> it was you. <laughs> First degree murder. Now stand up and face the wall. So Pam was then handcuffed and arraigned into the Dairy District Count uh, Court. I mean, the Count. A vampire came out and just dealt with it. They were done with her shit. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, And then she was taken to the county jail in Rockingham County. Um, so her trial was widely watched and garnered a lot of media attention, as you're well aware, as we're all well aware. Um, yeah. She faced life in prison if convicted. Um, when an oral argument commenced on March 4th, 1990, when the oral argument commenced on March 4th, 1991, the assistant attorney general um, portrayed the teenagers as naive victims of an evil woman bent on murder. The prosecution played Pamela Smart as the cold-blooded mastermind who controlled her young lover. Um, so, oh, my God. Uh-huh. Uh not her lover. Uh-huh. Stop normal. Ugh. Um. So the assistant gener attorney general said that Smart seduced Flynn to get him to murder her husband so that she could afford avoid an expensive divorce and also claim the $140,000 life insurance policy that was taken out against him. Um, so in her testimony, Pamela acknowledged that she'd had an affair with the teenager but claimed that the murder of her husband was solely the doing of Flynn and his friends born as a reaction to her telling Flynn that she wished to end their relationship and repair her marriage. She insisted that neither participated in the murder plot, that she had neither participated in the murder plot nor had any foreknowledge of it. Though Finn, Flynn claimed that he'd fallen in love with Smart when he first met her, Cecilia Pierce was to testify at that trial 
um, that Smart and Flynn were originally just friends, that she noticed a change in their relationship around February when Smart confessed to Pierce, when Smart confessed to Cecilia that she loved Bill. Flynn claims that he... Flynn claims that he was a virgin before he was raped by Pamela Smart. Um, so she was found guilty on March 22nd, 1991, um, which means that her trial only lasted a couple of weeks. Um, oh, a 14 day trial. There it is. Um, so she was found guilty of being an accomplice to first degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder and witness tampering. Um, I'm just amazed how she was only found to be an accomplice. Right. When she masterminded this entire thing. I think it was probably difficult to prove that she masterminded it, but they could prove that she was an accomplice and get the same result. Also, I just want to point out, I didn't hear any sexual assault of a child charges in there. Yep. Great. So, um... This was largely, so this conviction was largely a result of the testimony of her conspirators and the secretly taped conversations in which Pamela appeared to contradict her claims of having wanted to reconcile with her husband and of having no knowledge of the boy's plot. Um, Mm -hmm. Pamela Smart argued that the media had influenced her trial and conviction um, and that she could have been charged... Sorry, that was a different thought. She could have been charged with capital murder, but the prosecution decided against it. Later that day, she was given a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. I just want to point out, she could have been charged with aggravated sexual assault of a child. Yes. Um, so, Sorry, like, I will die on this hill. It's no, disgusting I, how we let, like... Uh, boy victim like young boy victims slip through the cracks of all the time sexual assault cases it's um awful well and it's horrible and i hate it and boys who are involved in like young boys who are involved in trafficking cases almost never get saved like it is so much more rare because people don't even look for the signs of trafficking in young in boys right and then of course there's the other issue of like just with men in general reporting sexual assault being that just because of the way men are supposed to be the stronger because sex the con- and constructs like all that. of gender. Oh, yeah. H- how did that person rape you? Like, Oh, I hate it so much. Uh-huh. It's awful. So, um, she was originally sent to prison at Bedford Hills correctional facility for women. Um, She's the only person in New York incarcerated under an interstate compact between New York and New Hampshire. Um, she was transferred to this New York facility in 1993. State officials said that she was transferred because New Hampshire did not have a secure enough facility to house her. And the higher security was necessary due to the high pro- profile nature of her case. Um, sure. Although she has not admitted responsibility for her crimes. She has conceded that if she'd not had an affair with Flynn, Greg smart would still be alive. Um, so in prison, she spent time tutoring other inmates. She's completed two master's degrees, one in literature and one in legal studies, um, which were paid for with private funds from mercy college. Um, she became 
uh, a member of the National Organization for Women, campaigning for rights for women in prison. No! No! Uh-huh. So in October 1996, she was severely beaten by two fellow inmates, um, resulting in a metal plate having to be placed in the left side of her face. The two inmates beat her after accusing her of snitching on them about their prison relationship. Um, they were convicted of second degree assault in a, and were transferred to separate prisons. In 2003, pictures of her surfaced in the National Enquirer. Um, she was scantily clad in these pictures and they actually resulted in her being placed in solitary confinement. Um, she sued claiming the punishment was unfair treatment, but her lawsuit was dismissed. Um, in 2004, um, smart and fellow inmate Carolyn Warmus sued officials at Bedford Hills claiming sexual harassment and sexual assault by a guard whom they claimed coerced them into posing for the suggestive pictures that were published the year before. Um, oh, was it really bad when you're, I'm sorry, two wrongs to make a right. That's not nice. Okay. Oh, let's see. And now my notes have gotten out of order. Or it didn't print the last page. So that's where I end is with this 2004. Um, but yeah, so there's been more information even recently. Um, but there was an interview recently where Pamela said that um, she would have rather had um, the death sentence than life in prison, that she can't imagine dying of old age in prison and that this is basically the worst thing imaginable. And I'm like, is it though? Because like there was a man who was held down by a couple of 15 year olds and shot in cold blood. So like is yeah. dying in prison really the worst thing imaginable? Or are you dramatic, Pamela? She's dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're like, are you dramatic, Pamela? <laughs> God, I hate this. I hate it so much. And if oh we'd done God. the John Stamos movie, I suggested at least we could have talked about John Stamos. I can't find the John Stamos movie you suggested. So... I didn't even look for it. I just texted you a name because I found it on, I almost said on Instagram. I found it on Google. I know it's a great story. I'm going to have to find it. It's a great story, but I can't find it. All right. Well. I have to be up and getting dressed for work in six hours. So I think I should probably go to bed between uh, now and then. I have to be then. up in seven hours. So we should definitely get off this call. So would you like to <laughs> tell the lovely folks where they can find us? And Skype froze because we've had technology issues. Okay. Are you there? Yes. Okay. You can find us on Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. You can email us at uh, Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Join our Patreon, Patreon.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Uh, buy our merch. It's on our website. Our website is Lifetime Sentence.com. Perfect. And Skype held for you to say all of that very quickly. You sounded like the end of a car commercial.
Thank you. Good night. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, please do not forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone and go vote. Go fucking vote. Again, remember the polls are a little different this year. If you are voting Democrat, the polls are the polls are open as you expect. If you're voting Republican, they have moved it so that you don't have to deal with coronavirus. Your voting opens December 1st. Right. And also, if you are voting and you want to vote for Donald Trump, make sure to push that Joe Biden button. Absolutely. Also, if you are voting third party, please, this is not the year for that. Please don't. <laughs> and do not do like that governor of where the fuck ever. And write and, in and Ronald Reagan. Who's dead. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> Unless, of course, you are going to vote for Donald Trump, in which case, write in Ronald Reagan. Yeah. I, <laughs> God, I, I hate this country. Fuck. All right. Well, bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.